I'm not even mad that it was a crazy week. I just want to go through everything, it, every single possible topic that we can talk about. It was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was intense. And you, every week, you know, you're like, man, another crazy week, and yeah. they, they all have been. This might be the worst week. <laughs> and if you think about it, there were a couple people that said this might be the worst week a president has ever had. Self-inflicted, right? I mean, not, yeah. are, you know, there are real bad things that happen, but in mm. terms of, like, management style, mm. the last week might have been the worst week in presidential history. <laughs> <laughs> Some people thought it was a smashing success, though. Well, just Trump. <laughs> uh, welcome back, guys. Good to be here. It's uh, just the three of us. Uh, Phil the Mooch Barker, uh, Bill Muck, and Nick McGuire. Woo. Yeah. Um, so we're we're going to deep dive into a couple of topics, and then we're, we literally have a timer and a bell set up to go through the smaller topics. I plan on drinking heavily through most of those. Um, you can... Feel free to join me if you want, um, but this is going to be a lot of fun. There, there are so many things to hit. We figured that we'll do, we were going to talk about some of the transitions with Mooch and Spicer and Kelly, all of that. We'll do that for about 15 minutes. We'll hit on McCain and the healthcare thing for 15 minutes, and then we're going to do like five-minute bullet rounds with all the other Speed stuff. Speed round. That, Speed round, yes. Yay. Oh, it's, I, I think the listeners will enjoy that. I would hope so. I know I'm going to. <laughs> Uh, let's do it. All right. So our first uh, our first topic is uh, as I'm naming uh, mooch ado about nothing. <laughs> we talk. <laughs> we talk about the week that was mooch, right? So uh, uh, I don't know, was it ten days or eleven days or twelve days ago, whatever it was, uh, uh, Scaramucci was hired, uh, and in the process, uh, Spicer steps down. Uh, then Mooch gives an interview with the New Yorker, a very explicit interview, uh, after which Priebus is is fired, uh, and then Kelly is brought on, uh, and then Kelly fires Mooch. Right? I mean, so the Mooch only made it ten days. So I heard. I'm I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I'm pretty sure it's true that he wasn't even scheduled to start until midway through August. Right? Right. Yes. So he, was he only made it before eleven he before he started. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, so he was technically negative days in office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and for this, like, 10-day tenure as the communications director, he missed the birth of his child, and his wife filed for divorce. So 10 days, the guy <laughs> takes a job, misses the birth of his, chi- of his child, gets a divorce decree from his wife, and is fired. <laughs> oh, and then, and as we posted on, on uh, I think, Facebook, this week, the Harvard Law Review came out said he was and said he was dead. <laughs> so so if, if the presidency had a bad week, Mooch had a really bad week. Oh, God, that is bad. Has there, has there ever been anybody who, over the course of 10 days, has had a greater impact and then just goes away? Because, honestly, a month ago, would any of us know Scaramucci? And, and no, then all no. of a sudden, uh-uh. he comes out of nowhere. He makes this splash where suddenly everybody's loving him in terms of the entertainment value and that accent and all of that. He shakes up the administration, and in the process of the shakeup, he gets shaken out. Oh, God. If Trump Jr. was the Fredo, this guy was the Sonny Corleone of that group. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, I mean, it, you, it, you almost, there's a part of me that almost wants to feel sympathetic for him, no. to feel bad for no. him, but <laughs> then, there's just not, like anybody who who 
ties their fates to Trump is like yeah. he he's just not as much as he harps about loyalty and all this other stuff. He's just not. He's gonna, you know, when the when when things turn and it's easier to to ditch you, he'll ditch you. Well, and the surprising thing is that of all of Trump's advisors and confidants, the Mooch is the most like Trump. Mooch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think about, and when he came aboard, that's exactly what Trump wants. Somebody who's going to come on and say Trump is amazing. He was exactly the he was following the line that Trump wanted followed. It was. I mean, he. It is. I think it's a big deal that he gets fired. Well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that you see where the dividing line is. Yeah. The only thing that is stopping Trump from being ousted is the office that he holds. Anybody else that acts like that is oh. not going to survive. Right. Especially with someone like Kelly in there. Well, that's that's a big question. And, and it was interesting. So uh, Scaramucci gives that New Yorker interview, which was, I mean, just like historically bad and crazy. <laughs> and so goes after Priebus, goes after the chief of staff, and goes after Bannon, and goes after, you know, says he's going to fire everybody. And initially, the, the stories are Trump loved it. He thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when people start turning against it, uh, and Javanka starts turning against it, uh, that's Jared Javanka. and Ivanka. Oh, We're just going to call him Javanka now. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that one yet. That just gave me chills. I'd <laughs> like to say I made it up, but I didn't. <laughs> then Trump quickly turns, uh, and uh, we have to assume that Kelly has been given ultimate authority, right? I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Is this, uh, so okay, to shifting to Kelly a little bit, Phil, is this a good move? Um, I, I think it depends on what you mean by a good move, right? Yeah. So, uh, I, I think that yes, in the, at least in the short term, from a Trump administration standpoint, I think it's a good move. Trump, uh, Kelly is, uh, he, I, everything you hear about him is that he's no nonsense, that he's gonna, you know, tell you how it is. He's going to be very businesslike. Um, military efficiency to things like all of that is what the Trump administration needs in some way. Um, so in that sense, I think it's it's probably good for the Trump administration. I don't know that him being efficient at achieving these things is necessarily all, all that good. And I think there's inevitably going to be a clash, right? Like ultimately, the, the chief of staff is not the problem, right? Donald Trump is the problem. Yeah. And so the, as long as they see eye to eye or even as long as Trump is willing to, in some way, defer to Kelly, I think it could work. Um, and Trump does have this fascination with the military, and so maybe he's willing to do that, to let Kelly do the job. Um, the firing of Scaramucci maybe points to that. But I, I you know, I think, inev- you know, maybe in a week, maybe in six months, maybe in a year and a half, like, they're gonna butt heads, right? And, and Kelly's not gonna put up with it, and Trump's not gonna put up with him, and, I don't know. It seems destined for a grand failure of some sort. It's just a matter of how long it works until that happens. Well, that revolving door is spinning faster and faster at this point. So it may be it may be quicker than uh, than than uh, than you're saying, which I, I I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing at this point. I I think they had to pull the trigger right after oh, how God, bad yeah. that week was. Yeah. After all of the Scaramucci stuff and and all the drama, they had to go with somebody like this. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Phil. This guy. He's got a long and distinguished military career. If there's anybody who's going to be able to control Bannon uh, and and the various factions, uh, you know, Ivanka and all of them who are going to be up, they're going to have to go through him now. So this potentially is a very important structural shift. But you're right; it's, it's he will be able to control those underneath him, 
whether he can control the president, I think that's, uh, we'd be silly to assume that. Well, and, and so I think the, there's a couple of parts of that. I mean, Kelly has been involved in politics before, right? He was he was a he was involved in the Obama administration, and is sort of known for. I don't, surly may not be the right word, but he you know he gets grumpy about policies and that things aren't going the way he wants. Which uh, I don't. I, a career in the military versus a political career are two really different things, and so it'll be interesting to see how much of the sort of craziness that's going to be sort of inevitable how much he's willing to tolerate and put up with. I think he's approaching this as like a service, right? Like he's yes, been asked right. to serve his country yes. and he's doing it. But, uh, you know, how far is he willing to to go with that? Who knows? And in the Trump administration, it's not just any typical like lower downs, right? The people, you know, you're saying it's whether he can deal with a higher up, Trump. Yeah. But the lower downs, like if he's trying to get everybody else in line and the lower downs involve the president's son-in-law and daughter and his other two sons and all of these like family hangers on and stuff, I, I, I don't know. You're asking Trump to totally change how he's governed so far, mm. which has been this open door, anybody comes in, a fluid White House, and he likes that. He likes them coming to court for him. And now they're all going to have to go through General Kelly. Or, and that's, a, that's a big shift that I don't think he's going to like. And you're, you're right, Phil, like those below him, Bannon and all the others. The other thing that strikes me is that everybody, when they hired McMaster as National Security Advisor, everybody said, okay, finally. There's another adult in the room. This is going to stabilize everything. Mm. It didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, Trump is too chaotic where it's important that you have those adults. And I, I do think General Kelly is another one of those. But Trump is something we've never seen before. Yeah, even, even if you really believe, like if Trump thinks, I'm going to let Kelly take charge, right? Like I'm going to let him actually run things. In order to follow through on that, in order for Trump to actually let him do that, you have to have some level of impulse control, right? Yeah. And Trump... Like he's just gonna tweet what he feels like. He's gonna lash out at people who say negative things about him. And like I, I don't think he has the self control to actually stay out of the way. Well, I, I mean, we're kind of stuck with that at this point. He's not going anywhere, as far right. as we can tell, for the near future. I can't think of a, a better um, person or figure to attempt to do that mm -hmm. than a former former general in the US military. And Trump you you write that Trump likes the military, he likes his generals, right. uh, has some respect for them. So mm -hmm. maybe at the margins Kelly can moderate or at least get Trump in different directions so he's less uh, inflicting wounds on on himself, but Well, yeah, it'll be real telling if we start seeing more crazy shit like this happen on a weekly basis and then these people aren't going anywhere, no one's getting fired, no one is getting reprimanded or anything like that, and then Trump ends up getting rid of him as well. Sure. Like, this is, I think this is one of the most, at least in this current situation, most credible people that you can have in that position. And if you get rid of someone like that, that's not a good sign. No, no. But we've, we've had many of those, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know I just keep saying it. It doesn't really matter. I have so, to say it. So, we, we've made, we've made the, I think pretty clear over the months of this podcast that we're not big Trump fans. Um, Speak for yourself, man. Yeah, what the hell are okay, you talking so about? Okay, so I'm not a big Trump fan. Bill is totally on the Trump train. Um, so if, if, oh, God. If, uh. Trump, if Trump concerns you, does a competent chief of staff, does that make you sleep better at night or worse at night? Right? Like, so you still sleep if, at night? <laughs> <laughs> What's that like? 
is it is it good that Kelly will maybe be able to control the excesses, or is it bad because efficiency might actually mean that they're more effective at doing some of the crazy stuff they want to do? And then what is that agenda? And I think that's not entirely clear either. Is it a more traditional Republican agenda, or is it more of the Trump agenda, right? And I, and I don't know where Kelly falls on that. Well, Kelly, I mean, in his time as as the head of Homeland Security, I mean, he's not uh, he's not your typical moderate softy, right? Like he's, right. he's made pretty harsh statements about immigration even before he was head of Homeland Security. He was the one who, when Trump was presented a sword, made the comment about you should use that on the on the media, yes. right? Like yes. he's, he's I forgot like, about that. <laughs> his press conferences and this like public statements he's made he's made as, in my mind, the head of Depart of Department of Homeland Security is supposed to calm fears about mm. terrorism and whatnot. And he's done the opposite. He's talked about like you should be afraid we're all going to die basically. Yeah, like that's right. he, those, that's that's not a direct quote. But yeah, he's not he's not trying to. So I, you know, I don't. In that sense, he fits in with the Trump mindset in some ways, and him being there could potentially mean that, you know, these things are passed more effectively. I, I think that's like. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's the communications director. I mean, I, I, in that situation, I think it's better than having him in Homeland Security. No, he's not. He's not. He's the chief of staff. I'm sorry, so chief of staff. So, right, they'll become more effective, right? That's that's the argument. Yeah, no, that that could very much happen. Uh, but it's still there's still so many camps within the Trump administration. So I'm I'm not sure what agenda he pursues, but certainly immigration, right? I think uh, that sure. continues to be pursued. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Did you, did you see today who who Trump is supposedly considering to replace Kelly at DHS at Homeland Security? Is it somebody from Fox News? Nope. Oh, no, but it's one of your old favorites, Bill. Who's that? Nick Perry. Oh, oh yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, Rick Perry. Oh, that 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 would be fun. Um, See, so you mock him when he says or implies that we're all going to die, and we have things like that that are happening, and then the list of topics yes. that we're going to have to go through. All right, so we need to move it's on to, real. to topic two. But before we do, one quick question for the both of you. So, uh, in the last ten days, we've seen Spicy gone. Uh, we've seen Priebus go, and we've seen the Mooch go. So the question is, which of those three has uh, the best in terms of career prospects? Who's going to get out of this and be okay? Or, or do the best? Spicer's lovable. He's just a big teddy bear. <laughs> like, realistically, I, I, I like just feel bad for him at this point. Yeah. Like, after that... I, I don't. After but... the, oh, that's fine. <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. And, I mean, I he said... I think it was... A few days ago, he said if um, Pence ran at some point after Trump was done, that he would proudly serve in that administration. Mm -hmm. And I think he would be fairly decent at that, and that would be a much calmer situation for him to be in. But, I mean, that's a book deal just waiting to happen. I don't like. Oh, yes, he lived a lifetime in those six months. Absolutely. <laughs> he's he's going to be a very rich, rich man. Yes. Yeah. Supposedly, Priebus didn't sign a non-disclosure. Which everyone else in the Trump administration did, supposedly. So he's going to make a lot of money off of a book, I imagine. That's fair. Mm -hmm. And of all of those who's motivated to write that type of book after the New Yorker piece and the yeah. fact that Trump didn't come to his defense yeah. and then fired him, yeah. uh, Priebus has some... Yeah, he's probably got an axe to grind there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough question because like, I, 
It's not. It's not Mooch. Right? No, no. He's, he's just a douchebag that needs to go away. We'll get Mooch on the podcast in like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but what Priebus and and Spicer are both. They, neither one, like they both kind of sold their souls, right? Like they were sort of mainstream guys who sort of sold their souls to be a part of this Trump administration, and they both did a, kind of a bad job. But I don't know how much of it was that they were answering to Trump, right? Spicer's having yeah. to lie for Trump, and Priebus is having to cover for him. I don't. I, I wouldn't want to be either one of them. <laughs> I, I could see both Spicer and Priebus going back into the Republican establishment mm-hmm. and continuing to have a career there. The Mooch. I think he's done, right? And he can, I don't even know. No, he Anthony Wienered himself. Right. Yeah. He, he can go back and be a hedge fund guy. Right. Or, he, or Fox News or somebody like that would love to have that kind of personality. Yeah. Can you imagine him with his own show? I don't know. He's toxic. Like, he's so bad. In a, in a way you just love. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I fucking the takes, hate that guy. The, the takes on him were fantastic. And that, that day he was fired from. That morning, because he was so new on the job, if you followed on Twitter or news, Fox News and places like that, that morning they were talking about how he's exactly what the Trump administration needs. (laughs) He's the savior. And by that afternoon, they were having his stories about how he had to go. He was done. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Truth is nothing anymore. All right. uh, Topic two. You know, we we forget that there was actually a major vote on health care last week, uh, which did not go well uh, for the Republicans, but I think more specifically for for Trump. I think the Republicans in the Senate were were probably happy that that didn't pass. Uh, And John McCain, uh, uh, Phil, one of your favorites, came out and was once again the maverick. And uh, he showed his independence and walked out and gave a uh, historic... Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Oh, <laughs> so I, I know you you go to bed at like nine o'clock, Phil, but yes. I stayed up until two in the morning watching that. That's I don't crazy. Know what was wrong with me? No, you, really? He did. I did. Oh. I did. I stayed up watching the vote, um, and it was pretty. It was. I mean, I'm a political scientist, but it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 I was pleasantly surprised by McCain. Like I I had a lot of respect for old. Young for young for a long time ago, McCain, right? Yeah. For like the old, not the new, not McCain 2.0, but right. um, the early McCain. I don't, I don't, I don't always agree with him, but I respect that. Like he's like doing what he thinks is right, right? And he's crossed the lot, the the partisan line when he felt it was necessary and whatnot. But man, lately he was just, you know, grumbling like a, you know, he was a grumpy old man grumbling all the time, but doing nothing about it. I I was shocked when he actually came out and voted. No, on that, yeah, on that. Uh, that was a big one. On that bill, and and really, you know, I was impressed and proud of him. Well, the reason I went to bed so early is I assumed McCain would vote yes. I, I thought there was no way he was going to do that. Now, was McCain's vote uh, based on principle, or was it was it a way to give the finger to Donald Trump? Uh, what, what are we thinking here? I mean, I. I he clearly doesn't like Trump. Right. Two things can be true, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I think absolute. I think it was principle. I think he really did mm-hmm. have a problem, more so with the process. I think even yeah. than the policy. I think he he had a problem with the policy, mm-hmm. but he had a real problem with the way it was being done. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it was a double win for him. He had a right. He had the he had the ability to vote no against a policy and a process he didn't like and to yeah. give the finger to Trump, right? Like yeah. the, the, you know, I, I would love to have heard 
what Pence was saying to McCain on the floor of the Senate that yes. night and how McCain responded. Apparently, Trump actually called the Senate floor. I don't know if McCain went out and talked to him or not, but I would love to have heard that conversation. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. But, yeah, I... <laughs> Please don't do this. Stop. I need this to go through. Please help. Well, the fact that Pence was there, you know, indicated that the Republicans were assumed, or I should say the White House assumed this was going to be a victory, right? We'll send right. him down. McCain will, you know, there'll be some hemming and hawing, but he will eventually toe the line. Uh, and this will come down to a 50-50 and Pence will break this and then we'll celebrate the next day. You don't, you don't hold a vote if you don't have the votes, right? That yes, is what it was so dramatic. And like an I don't know if you, you saw the I mean, I'm sure you saw the video, but it, it's 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 like a it's like a movie, like the way he McCain walks out and gives the down vote. But he does it like feet from McConnell. Yes. Like, yeah. They're like staring at each other as he does it, <laughs> as he gives the thumbs down. Right. Like it was like, it really it was, was, and McConnell doesn't even like McConnell doesn't move. But the turtle goes from a smile to a frown, right? I mean, it's like there's, and then he quickly walks off. And I think it was CNN that had, they broke the whole video down with like 15 different bubbles, like looking at all, you know, all the Democrats and the Republicans and their reactions. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, there was there was a fair amount of drama, and this this is a significant setback. I mean, another setback for the Trump administration because he needed a major win, and this would have given him that. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, we, we've talked about it. This should have never been the, the first major piece of legislation that they tried to, to take on to begin with. This is not what they're built for. Um, no. I, I mean, I found it interesting that McCain said that part of the reason that he um, wanted to vote this down, um, besides principle and whatnot, was that he wanted to uh, move to vote on was it the defense spending bill or national security bill that was coming up right after that? Oh, okay. And then McConnell, <laughs> McConnell held up the vote until when <laughs> September or something like that, right. just out of spite. Oh, it's just such childish bullshit at this it, point. It, it is, and so yeah, you're right. Trump takes a hit, but McConnell also. I mean, he's supposed to be the master of the oh, Senate, uh, and they knew this was a big <clears> deal. <throat> and again, but I mean, the, we're not even going to talk about the substance of the bill, which was basically let's pass yeah. something so we can go in and like have a future conversation. And, and part of it was Paul Ryan promising that they that the that they wouldn't pass the Senate bill, right? I mean, what kind of insanity right. is that mm. when you're saying okay? We're gonna pass this bill, but but the House promise us you won't vote it. You know you won't you won't so, approve this one. <laughs> so I've seen I've seen two different takes on the um, on McConnell in this. One take is that McConnell is this is a massive failure for him, right? Like this is the party's prime piece of legislation. This is the thing they've been promising for seven years. He goes to a vote. He can't get the votes. It goes down. Huge failure. The myth of McConnell is dead. The other take on it is that this bill was a was a piece of shit, right? Yeah, and right. and McConnell managed to get 49 Republicans, people who were saying openly that they thought this shouldn't pass and asking for a promise that the House wouldn't pass it and he still got 49 Republicans to vote for it. Yep. So is this is this a testament to McConnell's ability or is this a testament to M McConnell being sort of overhyped in his ability. Phil, that's democratic logic, right? That's what the Democrats <laughs> always do. They lose and they say, but we didn't lose by much. <laughs> <laughs> so close. <laughs> we'll get you next time. Yeah. No, the, so, you're right. There is something to that. And again, it, it comes down to McCain. And had Trump been nicer to McCain, 
it's entirely possible that this goes through and now we're having a very different conversation about what uh, Republicans will bring forward as final health care. So that's that's why McCain is so significant. And just fucking drop it. Yeah, it, the, his, the history was not lost on McCain, that's for sure. Yeah. Is this do you think this is a turning point for like, this? Uh, do you think we'll see more sanity out of the legislative no. part of the Republican Party? I, so McCain McCain is calling for this. He's you know, he's show, he's fed up. Um, Jeff Flake of Arizona published is writing a book about the insanity of the Trump administration and has published this op-ed in which he calls out the Republican Party. There's reports this in the last day or so that um, there are new bipartisan efforts to right. sort of prop yeah. up the health care. Like, mm -hmm. was this that the Republicans were going to follow Trump down this path? And it, it this was sort of the certainly it's not the final straw for all of them, but is it a final straw for enough of them? that we start to see a, a difference in how the Republican Party in Congress moves forward. I think so. I think we saw this week, for all those reasons you highlighted. You guys are cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that suddenly, I mean, the Republicans have been reluctant to really go after Trump. And this week they did with the health care bill, but more specifically, like with that Russian sanctions bill, a veto-proof bill. Uh, and we shouldn't, you know, Jeff Flake's book, his editorial, uh, the conversations that Senate Republicans were having the last few days, very critical of Trump, much more so. I think they've, I don't know if they've moved on, but I think they've realized that we don't need to hitch our wagon to the Trump train anymore. Like, we should do what we want to do, uh, but he is not going to help us uh, win elections. And he can't he can't close deals, right? So no, I think this was this was a big deal for the separation between congressional Republicans and the White House. Uh, and yeah, no, I I, I, I think it's uh, it's very significant. Uh, I don't I don't expect anything dramatic um, in terms of shifts, and and I've been really critical of the Lindsey Graham's and the John McCain's and the Jeff Flakes and the Ben Sasses who are really outspoken about how Trump is, you know, doing, he's bad for the party and bad for politics, but then they do nothing about it. Yeah. And they vote for his agenda and they vote for his um, appointees. But I, I do want to leave room for the fact that that can change, right? And so, uh, while, while I'm a little hesitant to, like, think, oh, Jeff Flake's come around and he's going to change, I, I, I do think it's, it's not insignificant that he's writing, if nothing else, even if it's purely, like if we go with Nick's approach, if it's purely cynical, the fact that he's yes. decided that the cynical <laughs> thing, right, even if you don't want to give him any benefit of the doubt, if he's just doing it because he thinks it's in his best interest, it's telling that Republicans now think that it's in their best interest to start distancing themselves from Trump in some way, right? Like that, that's, that break or that split seems, seems it, may seem, it may be small, but it seems important. Well, the fact, I mean, what Trump has been doing is pulling Republicans away from conservative ideology. Uh, and and I, again, we've I've argued before that I don't think Trump is really a Republican or a conservative in any sense. Mm -hmm. But you, you wonder whether they finally feel like this is the guy that's not going to get us into the end zone. Why are we, you know, giving up our soul and our ideology for this individual? Like, we have to stand for something. And, you know, midterm elections are not that far away. So, yeah, this was a, a major reckoning, I think, within the Republican Party where, you know, somebody finally, a Republican finally stood up and said, this is enough, you know, McCain, Flake, and they're all from Arizona. I don't know what's going on in Arizona, but it's, uh, there's a movement. There's mm -hmm. <laughs> a movement. In my mind, Arizona is like prime Trump country. Am I, like, that, that, that's like, 
I'm, I'm from Texas originally. Arizona seems like Texas on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, this was the Senate, right? That's a, there's a difference between the Senate and the House, and we saw that, right? Where the Senate felt like this was this a lot of what's going on in the executive branch is is undignified for that, you know, for the Senate. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Time will tell, boys. We'll see yeah. where the votes land. So yeah, for sure. I, I'll put money on the opposite end of what you guys are saying. Well, and again, and I think to, to that point, the next big legislative agenda is tax reform. Right. And so in a month from now, if that goes through swimmingly and they have a major overhaul of the tax reform, we're, we're having a very different conversation, right? Oh, right. Donald Trump has, has made changes. And, and so this is, you know, this is very typical in terms of Washington politics. It's terrible now. I think it's likely to continue to be terrible. But one victory but, changes this conversation. Why do you have to be cynical about this? <laughs> Wait, Nick, did you say that? <laughs> There's a there's another there's an important distinction to be made too in that Jeff Flake right even if Jeff Flake is fed up with Trump and thinks that Trump is abusing power and is bad for the presidency Jeff Flake as a Republican is still not likely to vote for single payer health care and he's likely yeah. to vote for budget you know for tax cuts and so there's a difference between like I, these senators aren't going to show their distance from Trump by becoming Democrats right oh, they're right. still going to vote for policies that line up with the Republican Party but. Um, but there's there's you know there, there's the policy side and there's also the sort of um, oversight of the presidency side and, and yes. you could still be a Republican and want Republican policies but want some level of oversight and sanity from the presidency as well. And I found myself this week when uh, you know Flake was interviewed. So he wrote you know the book is out. He wrote the op-ed and then it led to lots lots of conversations and interviews. When he was making the case for conservatism, I didn't always agree with that take, but I really enjoyed that intellectual discourse, right? So he's arguing this is what conservatism believes, this is what we should be doing, and that was, it was exciting to see that again. And that's the kind of intellectual debate that many of us like. I mean, it's entertaining to talk about Trump, you know, his speech to the Boy Scouts, which we will get to, but... That's different than this kind of conversation, which you know, albeit brief this week, I really, I really enjoyed uh, Flake's putting that back out there, and that's uh, it's not easy to do in this climate. Mm. All right, we we got a few minutes before we need to move on, but what about the uh, the Russian sanctions bill? Sanctions bill. Mm. That's I mean, this was veto proof. This, these are, this is brutal, and this made Putin very angry. Oh, yes. He kicked a whole bunch of diplomats out and, uh, and then fired a bunch of other Russians. Uh, this was the Congress reasserting its power, and Donald Trump did not like that one bit. No. But he had to sign. He had to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's it, it is. It's a good sign, right? I mean, it's a sign that... And, and when you read art stories or reports about the the House and the Senate, like behind the scenes, it sounds like the Republican Party all recognizes that Trump is crazy, right? Yeah. And so it's a matter, it, it's, you know, this is where it matters, right? When they have actual policy issues and, and to see such a strong, although it took forever to get it through the House yes. to finally get the vote um, at, at such a high, at, at such a, uh, such a huge majority right to have um veto proof is big i don't i mean there's the whole we don't have time but there, there's a whole another element that that would be worth talking about at some point which is that it wasn't just a russia sanctions bill it also included iran yes and it included north korea as well 
and there's some potential kind of murkiness and weird stuff going on there. The, the sanctions against Iran, is something that Trump is probably cool with, even while he's opposed to the <laughs> Russia stuff. And, well, and that, two things that yeah, I absolutely feel to respond to that. One, uh, the other thing that people aren't noticing this week, you know, Pence was traveling and was in Eastern Europe and was meeting with, you know, the Baltics and all these states. And he, he, had, he took a very hard line against Russia. And it didn't get a ton of attention, but he was just, again, separating himself from Trump's position on this. So I think Republicans have pushed back quite well against Russia and isolated Trump on this. Mm. The Iran stuff, why that's gonna be big. So we, uh, Trump recently just approved another 90-day extension. And apparently he told his advisors and everybody around him he's not gonna do it again. Mm. This would be a catastrophic policy shift if he is able to undermine this. Because this is another foreign policy issue. You're talking about the nuclear deal. You're right, the nuclear deal with yeah. Iran, right. Uh, where there is bipartisan support. Democrats like this, Repu Republicans have gotten on board with this. Uh, his team is on board with this. So that's 90 days out, but that's uh, something to think about. Mm. All right, we uh, we should move on to talk beers? Uh, yeah, we have to. <laughs> yeah, because we got to get to the uh, speed round, Nick. Oh, my God. It's going to hurt. Phil, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, my first beer was um, from Harpoon Brewery, which is uh, a northeastern uh, brewery out of Boston and uh, Windsor, Vermont. And they have a beer called Camp Wanamango, uh, which I've seen um, around a lot, but I've never tried. And it is a pale ale with mango, um, uh, a bit of mango to it. Uh, it was pretty good. Um, I I liked it. I, it wasn't like blow me away good, but you know, like four out of five stars, right? It was good. I'd drink it again. I think you'd like it, Bill. It's, yeah. it's the it's the pale ale. It's got the little bit of the hoppiness and the the pale ale flavor. Not as strong, but it's like offset by a little sweetness of the mango. I know how much you like the fruit. I do, I do. I'm going to talk about some uh, grapefruit uh, IPA soon. <laughs> well, there you go. The second beer that I just started on is a Sierra Nevada Tropical Torpedo, a tropical IPA. Have either one of you ever had that? Oh, that is a good beer. No. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I'm just a couple of sips into it. I'm still kind of adjusting from my mango one before, but so far, I yeah, I like it. Let me hold on. What, one more sip. Yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's nice. It's not as the the hops are not. It's it's hoppy, but it's not that like overpowering hoppiness that you get with some IPAs. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I had a uh, <clears throat> Sungasm uh, Belgian style. But what beer pale. are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> you made jokes. Um, that's from a Finch Beer Company uh, out of Chicago. Um, really interesting it was really light and kind of um overly carbonated oh it was light it was very light huh. which i found weird with it being a belgian style pale ale but um kind of a, a sweet hoppiness not overly hoppy um pretty drinkable i'm not gonna lie i yeah. might pick this one up again um so yeah highly recommend uh second one i'm having right now is a pole star pilsner uh from left hand left hand um out of wow um, out of uh, Colorado, um, started out being, and I don't, I don't know if there's a way that we can separate the different kinds. Like if we need to have water with us or something to cleanse the palate. Maybe some crackers. Um, maybe some crackers. <laughs> uh, um, some ham. Um, <laughs> but uh, it started out kind of Coors Lighty, and it's kind of grown on me. It's uh, it's gotten sweeter, and I don't know if that's an issue with me or the beer. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it's a zesty German style pilsner with great biscuity malt flavor and a dry crisp finish. Um, mm, biscuits. Biscuits. <laughs> it's gonna be a KFC night. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Three out of five. Not great. Pilsners have, are getting better. I will say they're they're doing good things with pilsners. Actually, a listener this week was asking yes. why we drink IPAs all the time because they're everywhere. Elizabeth Altman. Yes. I, I promise I'd give her a shout out. Elizabeth Altman asked about whether we just like IPAs or it's just that they're common. And I think uh, both, right? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's where a yeah. lot of the. But I will say, like it was the IPA wave is still going on but now we're seeing more pilsner stuff we're seeing other beers in the mm. craft industry that are that are good yeah but a lot a lot so much of the discussion is within ipas mm -hmm. speaking of which um <laughs> so i had another beer from noon whistle uh this is called an s punk simcoe india pale ale uh it was it was fantastic okay <laughs> and i'm telling you, every beer we get from noon whistle uh, which is, let's see, they're out of, they're close by. Where are they? Lombard, I think? Yes, Lombard, yeah. Illinois. Uh, they're doing amazing things over there. And this yeah, is one stuff. of the few beers of theirs that we hadn't tried yet, and I wanted to drink about four of them after I had that. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, an IPA, but like Phil was saying, there was a little bit of fruitiness, citrus to it, incredibly drinkable. Uh, man, I, I'm going to have to find more of those. Uh, my second beer which is from Buckle Down Brewery, we've had many of them, we love Buckle Down, was a uh, Belt and Suspenders. Now, as I was pointing out to Nick before the broadcast, I've technically had this beer on the podcast before, but it was in bottle form, and so today I had it in a can. <laughs> Juice box versions will be coming right. shortly, I'm sure. It's an IPA with grapefruit added, and this is just my, my favorite place to be, an IPA with grapefruit. They don't need to make any other beers than IPAs with grapefruit, and I would be happy. Actually, other than Shandy's and grapefruit, that's also very good. So, oh my God. <laughs> so uh, that was that was another really good beer. <laughs> so, all right. Oh, all right. We're time for the time for the speed round. Yeah, uh, I say just let's not even talk about the topics till we're in it, and then just. Go. All right, so we uh, just to give some contour of what's going to happen, we have six topics. We're going to give each topic five minutes. Uh, I have at the end of the five minutes, there is a uh, boxing bell that will go ding ding. When the ding ding happens, Parker, we have to stop and move on. <laughs> so I really wish I would have picked music. <laughs> so, all right, uh, topic number one, and I'm going to let I'm gonna, Phil. I'm going to let you introduce this one because this was something that you had a listener write you about and uh, you feel passionately about, which is uh, states' rights issues. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think we should come back to this at some point when we have a little more time. I feel like I need to talk quickly. Uh, I have a good friend, um, Brad Burnaman, who who called me this week um, and said that he would like to hear us talk about states' rights. And states' rights have been a uh, big part of the Republican Party agenda for a long time. And Brad was asking about whether or not um, that that idea or that concept is advancing under Trump. Not necessarily that the Republicans are pushing it, but that the insanity in the Trump administration is leading states to sort of try to assert some level of independence. Um, what do you think? Nick. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> next, next person. No, I, I mean, you, you do see that uh, happening. I mean, even here in Illinois, there's uh, a concerted effort to increase um, health care payments or health care subsidies or something, mm -hmm. whatever, somewhere between 5 and 45% next year 
just on the chance or you know uh, under the assumption that something is going to change there's so much instability and they need to do something which i'm sure many of the state markets are, are doing uh block and step but yeah i i mean it's it's impot with so much uncertainty on every possible topic how could you not think that this is uh, a, a a major moment for states rights on both, I think you're right. You guys are both right on both sides. I mean, mm -hmm. I, this caused me to think about California and the Environmental and Paris Climate Accord, where California basically said, mm -hmm. "We're going to go forward. Uh, we're going to make all these changes, uh, and this is something that we believe in." And it also sort of begs this question of where are the really good solutions to global problems coming from? And the assumption used to be that it was states that did this, like states, like you know, country states, nation states. Uh, now I think we're seeing like the the actual state states that are solving the problems. Yep. Cities and states are addressing this, and California is dealing with the climate change. But no, I I think this is a a major shift in terms of government policy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see it with uh, lots of states who have claimed or cities that they're going to take up the Paris climate uh, stuff now that we've backed out of it. Um, states that are negotiating trade trade uh, relationships with Canada and Mexico. The, the caveat, I think, is that right now, when Trump's in power, Democrats kind of love this idea of states' rights. But states' rights, like, you have to take the good with the bad. So yes. if you want to be able to have sanctuary cities and adopt Paris climate and have legalized marijuana in California, then you also have to be willing to some extent to allow Alabama to say that they don't want to, up, you know, to to abide by federal regulations on, you know, religion or gay marriage or whatever. So, you Texas know, that all has to be negotiated. Texas is passing their sanctuary city bill, yes. by the way. Yeah. yeah. Do what? Sa uh, Texas is passing their, their sanctuary city yes. bill. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, so no, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things that, that is very ha you know, popular with Democrats right now, but, uh, you know, you have to, like, you can't, <laughs> You can't claim states' rights when it benefits you, and then you know shout about it when you're upset about Alabama doing something you don't like. Of course you can't. It's politics. <laughs> well, I think the, the other thing to note here is that there is all this excitement about state rights, but a lot of it is only because the federal government is so inept at addressing problems. This is perfect. <laughs> well, no, but there still is a role. We can, uh, there's this tendency to say, okay, let's let's throw it all back to the states because they're the most effective. And yes, for some they are, but there still is a role for the federal government to play. And yes. there are certain In issues. currency and defense. That's what they're for. <laughs> the list might be a little longer, Nick, but that's... <laughs> And, and on those issues where you need to say, okay, this is something that is the country as a whole has to address, that that concerns me. That we're not, you know, we're doing this piecemeal. So um, yeah, it is. It's exciting, but I think there's also some concerns with it. I, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like you see all these different experiments going on, and I, I I mean, at least in my perspective, think that there's more. There's a better chance to come up with a logical, cogent solution when you have differing opinions and differing structures and different experiments going on than an overarching structure that is cumbersome and, and isn't working properly. I don't know. That's me. But. You know, one, say, one thing real quickly. You, you know, have 30 seconds. Yeah, uh, Texas, right? So, I mean, so there, Phil, you're the Texas expert, but it feels like there's a divide between, it's all conservative, right? But it is more fiscal conservative with religious conservative. So there's these interesting debates within state rights movements about where this is all going to go. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the question, it's... 
you know, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think there's um, uh, having a. That's oh, it. <laughs> I'm done. Oh. All right. Next. Next topic. Felt, that felt that felt pretty long. Five minutes. It did, right? It did. right? Well, it, you, you talked really fast at the beginning. I Jill, did. So. I was nervous, but I wasn't going to get it all in. <laughs> All right, topic number two, and this comes from uh, Kathleen, who also, we, we got a lot of emails this week. We had three emails. Shocking. Thank, thank you, listeners. We've so, tripled our number of emails. Right. So Kathleen was, was saying that what's going on in Venezuela is a really significant issue, and we should talk about this uh, for our listeners. That's uh, round two. Uh, <laughs> So Venezuela had a major election this week. Uh, they are con the, the, the conversation was whether or not to change the constitution. And instead of having a vote about whether they should change the constitution, they had a vote about who should change the constitution. Uh, and Maduro, the I, I say president, but increasingly dictator, socialist <coughs> uh, dictator, right, uh, had all of his people in that election. So it was the opposition uh, boycotted it because it was a clear manipulation of. Uh, the electoral process, but Venezuela is in a very, very bad place economically, uh, politically. It's it's absolutely collapsed. Uh, so Venezuela, go. <laughs> you, you missed the part where they threw all of the opposition in jail. That's right. So that's an important point. Yesterday, after the vote passed, uh, that they are now going to change the constitution, and these yeah. are the individuals that are going to do it. Mm -hmm. The two leading opposition leaders were like dragged out of their house. Yes, yeah. on, on video, no yeah. less. Oh, it is. Yes, and bad. then the the organization that was helping them with electronic voter tracking or something like that said there was clear evidence that there was tampering in the voting process. Oh, I'm not sure According at all. to the AP. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, that's not surprising. I'm not sure I'm not, 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 yeah, surprising. Okay, okay comrade. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's heartbreaking what's happening there, right? I mean, I, I think people in the U.S. have grown accustomed to thinking of Venezuela as some level of a bad guy because of you know, we've had an antagonistic relationship with them through the Bush administration, and but what's happening recently is is really, it's a whole nother step, and it's really, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah, like you said, they're, they're they're changing. They have decided to change their constitution. They didn't ask people whether they wanted that. They just created a rigged ballot essentially on who would get to choose change it. Um, but it's difficult. Like so, the U.S. the 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 uh, the U.S. has to decide what to do about it, and part of the problem is that the Venezuelan economy is in shambles because their economy is essentially entirely based on oil. Yeah. Um, we get a huge amount of our oil from Venezuela, and oil prices are down. Right. The reason we have cheap gas is because. But that that on the other side means that the Venezuelan economy is really uh, in, in bad shape. So there have been protests. Uh, they've tried to remove Maduro, um, and he's responded by essentially locking in even harder. Um, but the U.S., because we, have, because we have such a big trade deal with them, it would hurt if we imposed too severe of sanctions. It would impact oil prices in the U.S. It would affect the economy. Although I did see we, we have imposed um, sanctions personally, or we have yes. frozen the assets of Maduro. And that is something that's pretty unique. We have done, you know, we have imposed sanctions on other countries before, but a, a, the specific leader of a country, um, I read today that it's Maduro, yep. it's Assad in Syria, it's... Um, Merkel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's North Korea, Kim Jong-un in North Korea, and Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe. And that's those, it. Those are the only four, and now you're adding uh, Maduro to that. So he's in elite company of really crappy people at <laughs> yes, this point. Yes. 
<clears throat> you know, the other, actually, and Kathleen, when she sent this, she was asking us, like, why does Trump like uh, the president of the Philippines, Duterte, another autocrat who's cracking down so much? Because it's simple. What's that? It's simple. Why? I, I mean, uh, regardless of the fact that they're a, very similar. He's a socialist. <laughs> yes, because he's a socialist. No, they. I mean, they obviously have very similar personalities, yeah. and you can you can see that dictatorial element within Trump. Obviously, it's yeah. it's held back with a, a lot of different checks and balances. But it's 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 just a simple thing to gravitate towards. Yeah. They're terrorists. We're gonna round people up. We're gonna you know, put them in prison or we're going to kill them. That's it. Like, yeah. there's no more discussion about it. So you can see why that is appealing to someone like Trump. But, uh, go ahead. Do you, is Venezuela even on Trump's radar? Like, no, I have no doubt no. it's on the radar yeah. of people they, in America. They don't American. have good golf courses. Well, so. obviously, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. You, you say what the U.S. response is going to be. I don't think there's going to be much of a response. And if, uh, I don't know if either of you saw it, I think it was the, the State Department is contemplating taking out mentions of democracy, democracy and um, was justice in there? I don't know, but it was something else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, promoting democracy out of their mission statement, for lack of a better term. I don't think they care that much. Like, with we don't need their oil anymore. Why the fuck would we care? It's. I guess it's. You know, in terms of democracy, it's a. It's bad for. South America, right? That, that this is happening. This is Stop. Your, your time's up. <laughs> All right, your time's All right. up. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, topic number three: North Korea. Uh, Phil, do you want to introduce this one, or? Uh, so, I mean, I, I can I can do some level of introduction. Sure. So, North Korea did another missile test this week. Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> North Korea did, a, did another missile test this week. I haven't actually read all the details. Have you read the details on how far it went or what? It the could hit California. Were? It could hit California, and that's so all I, that matters. <laughs> I had I had read and listened to a few uh, people who supposedly know what they're talking about in terms of rocket science, which I am not one of them. Um, who had claimed that scientist. even the first test, <laughs> the first test which the claim was that it would hit Alaska, would likely have actually gone further than that. So yeah. what, you know, what we've been talking about in the last you know, couple of months with this is, again, closer and closer to reality, which is that North Korea could very well reach, again, they, they can't mount a nuclear warhead on the end of that missile right. yet, but they do have missiles that might very well be able to reach the mainland. Sure, I, I, like you said, we, they can't mount it yet. We have no idea what the guidance system is on it or if there is any significant guidance system on it. Just the fact that it has the um, uh, physical capability of reaching a specific area doesn't mean that they're able to target a specific area as of yet. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on slash move into, you know, assassinating Kim Jong-un. But um, I, I don't, I, I still am, am um, hesitant to think that it's some earth-shattering development from them. I, so I, I I would, I, would, I would agree with that in the sense that I think everybody's overreacting to this, but I would say I'm just accepting the fact that 
uh, North Korea is eventually going to get an ICBM that will hit the mainland, right? I mean, so they can hit California. They're going to get better. Eventually, it will hit somewhere. Um, you're not. You're not saying that it will eventually hit. You're, they they it, will eventually have a missile it, capable of hitting. Right. Yeah. They will have the capability of hitting. Every, just let it fly, right? Man. But just you know, maybe Chicago, but maybe not New Hampshire. New Hampshire's a long ways away, so you'll probably yeah. be okay, Phil. Uh, and eventually, they will figure out how to make the little tiny nuclear weapon and put it on the top. Um, for me, this week, the fact that Trump reacted to this by going after China and saying, oh, you know, it appears that there's going to be economic uh, uh, trade war with China because of this, so China should be doing more. He was tweeting China, he was talking about China, that this is their problem to solve. I'm concerned because of that, because uh, that means that the U.S.-China relationship could crumble over North Korea. Uh, and there's very little that, in reality, China could do maybe a little bit more, but North Korea is not going to respond to China, right? I mean, so North Korea realizes the only way they stay around is to develop an ICBM and nuclear capability. So that's, that's what's going to happen. Uh, and I don't think turning on China is a really good strategy. Uh, and the, uh, one more thing, and I'll stop talking, is that this is not the kind of issue that Trump is good with. He's good with simple things like building walls and stopping immigrants from coming in. He's not even good at building walls. Right. North Korea is very nuanced, and this is going to be a challenge for him. <clears throat> All right. Do you, do you think that? Do you think that that you're, you're talking about? Do you think China even cares? Like I, I sort of imagine China just laughing off Trump's dumb tweets about how China shame on China for not doing more. That like that's all Trump can do is tweet mean things about people when they don't do what he wants. Like I. I can't imagine that that actually in any way affects or alters or like, do you think China is in any way worried about a deteriorating relationship with the U.S.? I don't think they allow um, most of their officials to look at Twitter in the first place. <laughs> right. So, right, of I mean, yes. I, yeah, it's not going to matter. Well, I will say there, there is some fear. There's been a couple stories this week saying that, that the Trump administration may impose some trade uh, penalties against China. Like, again, the currency manipulation came up this week. So if that happens, if the United States pursues a trade war with China, for me, that's a very, as a way to get at North Korea, it's a very dumb strategy. Right. And it's classic Fair Trump, right? It's I, a way to just like stick it to him, but to not appreciate the nuance of North Korea, which is like, I, I don't know, I, I think North Korea can be addressed. <laughs> But I'm not confident that Trump can do it's so. Never gonna happen. <laughs> so can, can we talk about? And I, this is a little off topic, but I'm still squeezing it into the five minutes. You have 45 you see, seconds. <laughs> did you see the story that came out this week? That one of the things that Trump does when he talks to the leaders of foreign countries is ask them how many people live in their country and yes. express amazement. Yes. <laughs> yes. He has apparently repeatedly expressed amazement at the size of a number of Asian countries. When talk, Wait, no, that number can't be right. Can so you, to can say, you check that? To say that he's not. To say that he's not strong on nuance is understating it, I think, right? <laughs> well, the other, if you read this, wall, so he did the whole Wall Street Journal interview, which they released the last couple days, and you're right, he equated the number of people with, like, the size of the economy, and it was really disturbing in the sense that he doesn't appreciate that economies are different than populations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, topic number four. Donald Trump Jr. is back in the news. Uh, so here, topic. There we go. Uh, so it was revealed this week, that. yes, that uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, with this whole his meeting with the Russian lawyer, 
uh, released a first statement. So when the Times came to him about this and said, we have evidence that you had a meeting with a Russian lawyer talking about the campaign, uh, and there was a statement released that said this was all about adoption. Initially, uh, the Trump administration said Donald Trump Sr., the president, had nothing to do with the, the statement. His lawyer came out and said absolutely not. He had nothing to do with the crafting of the statement. And this week it was revealed that in fact he did, and he may have actually dictated the content of that statement. Um, and this suggests that, and the statement itself was very misleading, right? So it said it was all about adoption. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. had multiple iterations of amending of that statement. Uh, so it su suggests that the President of the United States not only knew about this earlier than we thought, but had a hand in misleading the media. To, to say that it was the statement was a little misleading <laughs> or that it was is a little understated. Um, yeah, but, so the idea was that, that, um, that I guess, I mean, the, the story, as I've kind of pieced it together, is that Trump Jr., Don, Don Jr., had sort of decided just to come clean, like that there, he and people around him had decided the best way to deal with this story is just to be open about it. This is what happened, you know, whatever. And Don, President Trump- No, was son, who, can't do that. <laughs> and not, not only, not only uh, Don Jr.'s team, but apparently the president's team as well. Everybody was on board that saying, let's get out in front of this. Yeah, and 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 President Trump said no, and basically the statement that came out, the one that was quote unquote misleading by Bill standards, <laughs> the the lie as you might want to call it, um, uh, was basically that came that came from President Trump, right? right? That that was his. And at first, you know, it's a strange thing that the the habit of this administration is to deny, sort of mislead. And then eventually they come around to just like wholeheartedly embracing it, which is what right. the Trump administration has done by the end of the week is to basically say that the president took an interest in his son's life as any father would, which, which is just yes. bizarre. You just imagine him, Don Jr., just sitting there like a third grader writing it down. Yes. No, you didn't just, yeah, no. Here, let me just do it for you. It'll be faster. Yeah. The, the other excuse they're using is that, not not with this case, but a lot of them is like, he was joking, right? That's their new thing. Like, he'll say things like, no, 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 he was joking about that. Like, no, wow. you can't do that. Yeah. yeah, the other thing that's driving me, there's a couple of, of things. This is not, this is getting a little bit off of that main story there's a couple of things that come out of this story that that drive me crazy one of which is referring to don jr as a kid yes. <laughs> the statements over and over he's, he's a, just a kid he's almost 40 years old <laughs> <laughs> i wish every time i did someone something stupid everyone would be like ah he's a kid let's <laughs> give him a break he's an adult we've, child we've talked about it he's the buster bluth of that family <laughs> yes. yeah, it really is. the <laughs> other thing is that jared and ivanka they're like so many of these stories that have come out about this and about other things are so transparently leaked leaked by Jared and Ivanka in an attempt to sort of make themselves look good. Like uh, that that story that came out about this was all about how Jared Kushner and his people wanted transparency and they were pushing for transparency. Yes. It's just absurd. I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, first when uh, Jared first emerged on the scene. He kind of was like Batman, right? The guy didn't say much, but he always looked cool. He was not like Batman. Well, I, not no, he didn't look cool. He looked like a douche. Sorry. <laughs> I thought he was Batman like I with yeah. Nick. until I heard him speak. Sorry, and then, he looked like Robin. <laughs> I was like, this guy. And and then the more more that comes about him, out about him is that he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know like Middle East peace. He's totally clueless. 
But you're right. He is really good at throwing daggers at everybody else in the administration mm-hmm. to throw them under the bus to say, like, you're going to jail, but I'm going to cover my butt. Uh, now, now, the other thing, we only got 38 seconds here, but this could be legally troubling for Donald Trump Sr. in the sense that um, you know, for Robert Mueller in this investigation, if it appears that Donald Trump, you know, the president, is trying to veer this in a different direction by manipulating what is being said, he has some culpability here. And so this is, I, I don't know, and everybody around him was saying they didn't understand why he was getting involved. Right. I mean, we've talked a lot throughout this, the, the beginning of this administration about how the challenge will be tying it back to Donald Trump. So, like, if there is a tie to Russia, getting it back to Donald is the hard part. Donald Trump is making it too easy. Yes. He's making it too easy. That topic was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Topic number five. Um, All right. So this actually is a story that just broke, I think, today. Um, So the Department of of Justice is uh, taking up an affirmative action case, uh, arguing... What's that? Oh, I forgot to start the timer. Thanks, Nick. Damn it. Yeah. This is is why this is a team team effort. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so the DOJ is, is taking up a case on affirmative action, arguing uh, basically uh, for college campuses and admissions that white people are being discriminated against. So it's flipping how we usually think of discrimination and arguing that the, the Department of Justice, in terms of affirmative action, should be looking at this. Uh, and this, this deals with the Supreme Court case, which, uh, you know, addressing in terms of what can, how can race be factored into these determinations. Uh, and, this, and the Trump administration is arguing, or apparently going to argue, that uh, race can only be a minor factor. Mm-hmm. Um, this is huge for the base. Yes. It's, su- it's it is, such it a is strategic. huge bone yes. for them. It's yeah. ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't... I, 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 I understand the thinking behind it, and I understand the sentiment. Um, and in some instances, uh, especially with high-profile schools, I think there's a case to be made that race is, is more of a factor than it should be. I don't think that's it's a widespread problem. Mm-hmm. My main thing is that this is not a problem that they should be looking at right, right. now with everything, every other shitstorm going on around them. There are real problems, yeah. 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 <laughs> Phil! <laughs> I'm Full curious. stop. Yes, I'm curious about Phil's take on this. No, no, I mean, I, so I, there's there's a place in our political discourse to have a debate about the role of affirmative action and whether sure. affirmative action is good or bad and how much of a role it should play in college admissions and in government contracts and all these other things. Like, that's a debate that we can, that's a discussion that we can have. I, right. Uh, to take the resources of the, essentially the civil rights division of the Department of Justice, which, like, and, and use that use the the resources the the personnel the money the time of the of the civil rights division of the department of justice to look into whether or not white people are being discriminated against is just appalling right yeah. like it's just awful right like well yeah. i mean let, let's talk about it let's discuss it let's you know let's have an, an engaged debate about but but to, after the you know after all of the you know the sort of gutting of the of the um uh why can't I think? What, my mind's gone blank. The election. We, um, what, wasting what's time. The, what, <laughs> the voting rights. The voting rights. The gutting of the Voting Rights Act. The other. You know, all these other things that have that have happened in the last you know number of years to then 
dedicate the resources to this is just yeah it's it's infuriating to me and apparently so there was a division like the 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 permanent doj people who are dealing with this were saying like no we will not deal with this so the administration said, all right, well, at the elite level, we will have them this is what look we do into now. it. Yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I kind of agree with Nick on this that I, and actually Phil as well, like there's, there's a conversation to be had. This feels like it is very transparently at trying to appeal to the base. And again, Trump in the last 10 to 15 days has said, all right, you know, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to appeal to whites right now, right? I, I'm, I don't care about transgender people, gay people, African-American people. I'm doubling down on whites here uh, in terms of his strategic appeal. And I think that's problematic in terms of, like, the ethical, you know, uh, approach there. But also, can, strategically, it's not, it's not a good choice. Um, can, can anything come of this? I mean, obviously, real things can come of it in that resources that should be used for other things yeah. are not being used for those other things. But in the long run, do, I mean, do they really have the power to, uh, to uh, when you have Supreme Court rulings on, you know, affirmative action at higher ed, like, is there much that can actually come from this in terms of this specific policy? It's a great I question. They can, because I mean, the Supreme Court has already knocked down quotas and, and systems of, of that nature. So, I mean, beyond that, it's all hearsay. Right? And it feels like the court is going to have to weigh in on these nuances as well, right? right? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, Trump can push these issues, but ultimately they're, they're going to work their way to the courts. This is why we need Tom back again to talk about of all of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and, and he knows a lot of beers. Right, that's right. So, no, and, and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's troubling that they're doing this and with all the real issues out there, that they that they this memo was not leaked, but the New York Times, or I guess it was leaked. The New York Times somehow got hold of this. But well, this is a thing too. The other end of the spectrum is all of these things. Like we talked about the um, the State Department and their draft memos about taking you know democracy right. pro- promotion out of out of their you know mission statements and this story. All of this stuff is 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 up in the air, and none of it is policy at this point, or their tweets or something like else that don't necessarily influence anything. So. I, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything at this point. Our new system is fantastic. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Our final topic, and then we can all rest, is the Boy Scouts. Um, all right. So there's so many ways we can look at this, but Donald Trump gave a big speech to the Boy Scouts uh, in which he got political. And historically, that was not the case for presidents who apparently are like the number one Boy Scout. Uh, I I think it's specified that the Boy Scouts, like at these jamboree, like speakers aren't supposed to be political. <laughs> and previous okay. presidents have abided by that. And that when I you go back, to... and you look at those speeches, I mean, it is all about like being a good person. Sorry, we started a little late here. <laughs> being a good person, and right, and all the scout. Uh, I wasn't a Boy Scout. Not tying, fire starting. Yeah, right. Yeah, whatever, all you know, that. building. All that you know, I don't like camping, stuff. so I'm not really one to, to go into the, the oh Boy Scouts. God. But nevertheless, so Trump gave this speech that <laughs> offended many, including a lot of scouts, where he was talking about politics. And to your point earlier, before we taped, a lot of scouts liked it, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of scouts didn't like it, but it was very political. Uh, so there is that angle. Uh, Trump took some criticism criticism after the speech including from the Boy Scouts who basically uh, released a statement saying that we, you know, we don't want politics in our, our statements. And then Trump apparently said, and this is a quote, that he got a call from the head of the Boy Scouts saying it was the greatest speech that was ever made. There you go. Uh, and they were very thankful 
for him. <coughs> now, we can go in a couple different directions, but then after that comment, the Boy Scouts basically said, we never got that call. <laughs> so, Prove it. Yeah, so, so the question is, now Trump is lying about receiving phone calls from both the head Maybe of the Boy, the Boy Scouts. Scouts are lying. We don't know. No, there's badges <laughs> against that, Nick. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got my, so, my non-lying badge right. a couple years ago. Phil, Phil, were you a Boy Scout? I was a Cub Scout. I never went to Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because of all the snakes? I, so, I, I, there, I've seen people who like talk about like they feel bad for the Boy Scouts organization because Trump came in and made this crazy speech. I, I don't feel the least bit bad for them, right? There is nothing surprising about this speech, right? If you invite President, if you invite Donald Trump to come speak to your group, he has done it repeatedly, right? Like earlier, like earlier, twice this week when he was dedicating the Gerald Ford, the new ship in the Navy, in which he broke all sorts of historical protocol by telling the the Navy, the, the members of the Navy present that they needed to call their representatives to push for his health care bill. Right? Yes, like, yes. Totally over the line of what, what a president <laughs> has traditionally done. And then the, at the police thing, when he gave the speech about how he's on the side of the police and they should rough up people and like, if you just, invite Donald Trump, just their heads when they're putting him in the car. You don't need to hold it. Why? Why Which, are we actually, doing Nick, that? Actually, Nick, and I'll let you finish, Phil. But he's yeah. Nick. He's totally stole that from Seinfeld. That's a Seinfeld bit where he oh, talks. Where? Oh, it's on there. Yeah, it's in the show. Him a lot of yeah, Seinfeld. It was all. Yeah, Seinfeld You're has giving... a thing where about like they're you know they're worried about like the heads when they get in the car. You're giving him oh, a lot yeah. of credit to think that he can remember back that far. Yeah, no, it's definitely not that. No. <laughs> Although he did watch his lost TV, so he maybe does, he saw yes. reasons. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like this is what like this is what you're gonna get, right? Like when you invite Donald Trump to come speak, this is what you're gonna get. There shouldn't be anything surprising about it. Well, this it. is the thing, though, and, and like at some point, and I really uh, he's not going to, but I really hope he does. You can. You, and I'll, I'll, I'll give Obama this. He was really good at making a nuanced argument, a nuanced political argument that didn't come off overtly political. He read books. He read some of those books that people always talk about. Yeah. Like, just, just, like, it's not so obvious and on the nose with everything. Just stop it, dude. Like, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't care. I mean, I don't care that much about this speech to begin with, but... If you made it a little bit more subtle and a little, uh, just some nuance and what did he mean by that? You know, could it have been this? Something other than what's just flying out of your mouth at the moment would be fantastic. Especially for the Boy Scouts, right? <laughs> Stick to the teleprompter. Right. right? You know, don't, don't go after Hillary. Don't go after... They him. don't know what the fuck you're talking about. No, right. No, right. Talk about loyalty and devotion and helping old lady cross across the street and stuff. Right, yes. right. This is a lot of what it means to be a president. Just stick to the teleprompter. Let you know those other guys. Don't let oh. Stephen Miller write the speech, but let the other guys you know just write those. And then you're not. You can talk about healthcare and all these other issues, but the Boy Scouts are not dominating the news. So no, they're so, not. The, I mean, the the thing, the other part that comes out of this is his like pathological lying right that he yes. got this call from the boy scouts it goes in line with so this this quote i need to i, I don't know how close we are to having the bell ding yeah, 26 but, seconds okay well if it dings i'm still going because this is our last topic um <laughs> so in an, interview, the gavel, I swear to God. in an interview i saw this transcript today in an interview about tax policy he, trump was asked what are the main goals of basically tax reform and this is the quote the actual quote 
I want to achieve growth. We're the highest tax tax nation in the world, essentially, you know, of the size. Bill, stop. Ignore the bell. Ignore the bell. We have... I'm still this talking. This is the part that I want you to explain to me, Bill. Yeah. We have... Nobody knows what the number is. I mean, it used to be, when we talked during the debate, two and a half trillion, right? When the most elegant person, right? I call him Mr. Elegant. I mean, that was a great debate. We did such a great job. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Who's Mr. Elegant? Who is Mr. Elegant? It's like he had this pantheon, like Mr. Elegant and Jim, his friend from Paris. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make some sort of cartoon, like superhero squad thing of all the made-up people that he's come up with. Well, yes. <laughs> Mr. Elegant and Jim and... They're gonna fight at the Bowling Green massacre and something. Well, and apparently, to, my head. Today, I didn't see it, but I, I saw the headline that today at the press conference they asked uh, the I don't know if, I think it was Stephen Miller today. It wasn't uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders about this that he lied. You know the, the the alleged phone call from the Boy Scouts, which they acknowledged. Well, it wasn't a wasn't a phone call. Uh, you know he talked to some people, but Trump said phone call. And then he also said that the president of Mexico called him and said how great he was doing on immigration. And then they said, I think well, that's what he said. The interpreter yeah. wasn't and there. And the, the Mexican government said, like, no, 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 there was no phone call. And they're like, well, no, no, he talked to somebody, right? So we're trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. I, I, I've been thinking lately that, you know, every once in a while when you're walking around in the city, you see somebody who clearly has, like, some mental issues, and they're just, like, talking and rambling, and they don't make any sense, and you try to veer away from those people. That's Donald Trump, but we have to make sense of him, right? It's like we're standing in front of him and saying, wait, what, what is this, you know, his talk about his socks smelling like oranges. What does that really mean, right? No, at some point we have to acknowledge that he doesn't know anything about anything. And he was good in terms of campaigning, but he doesn't know about, you know, what I don't even know what he was talking about in that quote. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> The, beauty, the great thing, any, any like interview or speech that Donald Trump makes, it, the, a really great thing to do is to, to divorce it from the video and the sound and just read it on paper. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, no. You slowed, yeah, you slowed down like you're like, <laughs> read it <laughs> on paper. <laughs> but it's really, it's really revealing to actually try to read like what he says, and you realize how crazy and insane it is. Yeah. We haven't even talked. We've gone through all the dings. I know we're out of time. We didn't even talk about the fact that Donald Trump described the White House as a dump. A dump. Today. That White House is a dump, you know. <laughs> to his, to apparently, it was to his golfing buddies, right, Nick? Was yeah, that, he yeah. was at, uh, I forgot which club of his it, it was, whichever one he had been to like four times since he had been inaugurated, um, to uh, some of the attendees at the golf course. Uh, the statement was along the lines of, that White House is a real dump. Yeah. I, I just, uh, and realistically... Like that is a dump. Like I'm sorry, but you don't say that. <laughs> you don't say it, right? You just don't say it. And, like this, this used too often. But if Obama had said the White House was a dump, like treason, like right, it would be like the impeachment the next day. We have too many other things to fucking worry about, man. Like sorry, this is like number nine hundred and seventy-six no, on the know, totem pole. I know. Donald yeah. Trump is a terrible person. That's what it comes down to. Oh, see, of all the presidents that I would want to have a beer with. He'd probably be number one. <laughs> but it would just be hilarious. But he wouldn't have it. I, I don't care. He'd have a Diet Coke with I don't him. care. Have a Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, It'll be just like being actually, with a drunk it would be, Right, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, we, should we should probably wrap up. All right. Well, this was fun. Uh, 
Well, you speed know, what, round was fun. It was. We, was we have to keep, if the listeners like speed round, let us know. We'll yeah. keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, thanks this week for a lot of emails. And uh, that sounds funny, but you know, the people really like the email. Yes, absolutely. Send more in. They can they can respond in longer length than on Twitter and Facebook. So that was, was great. Yes. Uh, you know, continue again if you're a listener and you're still listening. Like us on um, uh, the iTunes, right? Uh, yeah, definitely uh, um, review us and like us on iTunes. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Bar- uh, Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Um, the email address is barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Um, three people found it this week, so I know you guys can too. Um, <laughs> uh, our beers go up on the Untapped app that you can download from. Uh, iTunes or uh, the Android store um, and that has our, our whatever ratings for all the beers that we do um, am I missing anything that's great I think that's, that's really good everything yeah had something else yeah, no? yeah, I, I've forgotten it already oh, okay <laughs> um, Phil anything else from you no no <laughs> full stop I'm good <laughs> uh, yeah well thanks guys this this was fun We'll, Cheers. We'll do it again next week. Yeah.